Hi, everyone. This is Dr. David Blumke in Madison, Wisconsin. This is our second podcast edition for the April 2019 issue. Let's begin by reviewing a new guidelines statement. The title is Guidelines for Acquisition, Interpretation, and Reporting of Whole Body MRI in Myeloma, Myeloma Response Assessment and Diagnosis System, MyRADS. MyRADS is spelled M-Y as in myeloma. Yes, this is another offshoot of the successful concept of BIRADS for breast lesions, PIRADS for prostate, and TIRADS for thyroid. There is a less well-known standard called METRADS for whole-body prostate cancer interpretation, and VIRADS is for bladder cancer. If you've been practicing radiology for a long time, you might agree with the following tweet recently on Twitter. That person said, radiology is fun until someone proposes a scoring system. On the other hand, if you are a clinician getting reports from a dozen different radiologists with different reporting styles, you might hope for more consistent reports. I remember a discussion I had with a urologist considered to be the single most prominent surgeon worldwide for prostate cancer treatment. For more than 20 years, he was always opposed to MRI of the prostate, too confusing, too complex. I had not seen him for several years, but he remembered that we had worked together when I was head of the MRI division. After several years, what he most wanted to tell me, the most important development ever in the field of radiology was the development of PIRADS, perhaps some bias from his expertise as a urologist, but he made his point. Surgeons have that get-to-the-point mentality. Our chief of orthopedic surgery was world-renowned for treating bone and soft tissue tumors. I attended one of his large conferences where he was training other surgeons how to handle soft tissue masses. His tumor scoring system was even simpler than BIRADS 1 to 5. He used a 1-2-3 system he said he developed after working with me. Category 1, if Blumke said it was benign, he left the mass alone. 2, if Blumke said it was malignant, he took it out. 3, if Blumke didn't know, he took it out. Background. How are you evaluating patients with multiple myeloma? The skeletal survey has been characterized as crude, only showing bones that are completely destroyed by myeloma. Myeloma is a bone marrow disease, and MRI easily shows both focal and diffuse marrow infiltration. What about PET? Poor sensitivity compared to MRI, only about 50% compared to 80% for MRI. Some myeloma lesions have very low metabolism of glucose and are therefore PET negative. CT is nice, but again, CT is good for identifying cortical bone destruction and poor for bone marrow disease. The International Myeloma Working Group has come up with recommendations for evaluation of myeloma patients. Most importantly, MRI is recommended for first-line imaging for all patients with suspected diagnosis of myeloma. The approach is to use whole-body MRI. If patients have more than one unequivocal lesion more than 5 millimeters in size, they are considered to have symptomatic myeloma that requires therapy. The MyRADS statement for myeloma proposes standardized imaging and standardized reporting for whole-body MRI in myeloma. The statement also describes how to describe the response to therapy. For initial screening, the exam should take about 30 minutes. Whole-body MRI is easier to perform with fewer artifacts at 1.5 Tesla compared to 3 Tesla. Here is a summary of the whole-body MRI protocol. First, 
T1 and T2 stir images of the spine are obtained. The rest of the exam consists of axial images from the skull to the knees. T1-weighted images with Dixon technique is first. Dixon technique produces two sets of images, one showing fat, one showing water. The third step is axial diffusion MRI. The B values are typically 50 and 800 to 900. The last step is axial T2 images without fat suppression. This guideline statement provides typical MRI protocols for three major vendors in the online appendix material. That's the brief protocol. To me, it seems like a long 30 minutes. The myeloma working group also has a longer, more comprehensive protocol for difficult cases and for clinical trials. That takes 60 minutes. One small point that's interesting. Note that for body imaging, we usually obtain B values of 50 instead of B0 images. In the body, there are many bright veins in various organs, and these can mimic small tumors. By using a value of B50 instead, water in the veins loses MRI signal and the veins become black. It's easier to see the tumors. Let's review the appearance of myeloma. Myeloma is a soft tissue tumor. Therefore, the bright T1 fat marrow is replaced by low T1 signal. But the MyRADS protocol really emphasizes diffusion MRI. At a B value of 800, there is restricted diffusion of myeloma, so the signal stays bright. On the apparent diffusion coefficient map, or ADC map, you are detecting a solid tumor with restricted tumor. The ADC value is low. So bright on diffusion MRI and low on the ADC map. The MyRADS guide also gives absolute ADC values for normal, treated, and responding tumor. What about reporting? Myeloma lesions are described as focal, focal undiffuse, or micronodular. Lesion size is measured when the tumor is greater than one centimeter or more. For patients who are treated, MyRADS has response to therapy categories from one to five. One means highly likely to be responding to therapy. A score of five means highly likely for disease progression. Two final comments. First, this is one of the most downloaded articles in the April issue, indicating a great deal of interest. Second, MyRADS is also a great way to standardize your MRI protocol for myeloma. Pulse sequence parameters are given in the appendix online. Third, compared to PET or other imaging methods to detect myeloma, the use of MRI resulted in the largest survival benefit for patients. Next, on to our research summaries for April. The next topic was described as potentially groundbreaking in the field of radiology by a senior editorial writer. The title is Radiologic Findings in Intimate Partner Violence. The first author is Dr. Elizabeth George. The senior author is Dr. Barty Karuna. The study was performed at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. To put this in perspective, let me start with our editorial, written by Drs. Efren Flores and Anand Narayan at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. The background, 32 million people in the United States are affected by intimate partner violence. The numbers are one in four women, one in 10 men. The World Health Organization, or WHO, indicates intimate partner violence affects one in three women worldwide. The United States Preventive Task Force determines minimum standards of care for individuals in the U.S. 
basic issues such as flu shots, mammography, other cancer screening. The problem of intimate partner violence, or IPV, is so pervasive that the U.S. Preventive Task Force indicates physicians should screen all women of reproductive age for IPV. Recent articles in JAMA have highlighted this problem and how to address it. There is a precedence of radiologist involvement to identify unique patterns of trauma. We know that non-accidental trauma in children is associated with unusual metaphyseal corner fractures. Radiologists have also recently been involved in cases of suspected elder abuse. Purpose. The purpose of this study is to document patterns of injury based on radiology studies in relationship to intimate partner violence. Methods. All cases of intimate partner violence over two years at a large tertiary care center emergency department in Boston were evaluated. There were 185 patients. For those patients, medical records were retrieved for five years prior to the index emergency department visit. These patients were age and gender matched in a one to three fashion to 550 patients as control subjects presenting to the emergency department. The authors compared the medical records of patients who were victims of IPV to the control patients. Results. Over five years, victims of intimate partner violence had four times more radiology examinations of all types. So the problem of IPV was long-term and ongoing. Nearly all victims were women, 96%. African-American and Hispanic women were overrepresented. The mean age was 34 years. Sadly, more than 25% of the women had been prior victims of strangulation. Victims were more likely to be homeless and have psychiatric problems. On radiology exams, obstetric gynecologic abnormalities were four times more likely in IPV victims versus control subjects. Soft tissue injuries were the most common injuries. The majority of fractures involved the nasal bones, orbit, facial bones, and skull. The upper extremities were also more frequently involved. In comparison, fractures were more common in the lower extremities of the control subjects from the emergency department. Conclusion. Number one, intimate partner violence is so common, the U.S. Preventive Task Force recommends all women of childbearing age be screened. Number two, 96% of patients in this Boston hospital were women, disproportionately minority, average age 34. Together with homelessness and psychiatric illness, this group was 13 times more likely to be a victim of IPV than control subjects in the emergency department. Number three, soft tissue and bony injuries around the face and head as well as upper extremities were more common as well as obstetric and gynecologic injuries. Perhaps this study is a byproduct of the Me Too movement. If so, one can only conclude that attention to these victims and their extensive injuries is overdue. Dr. Efren Flores at MGH is an emergency department physician. He is also involved in medical community outreach, describing the study as groundbreaking. Groundbreaking means the potential for greater recognition by radiologists of patterns of injury that were previously not recognized. If that happens, we might begin to make progress in treating victims and to reduce the frequency of intimate partner violence. Dr. Elizabeth George and colleagues are to be congratulated in this manuscript. By the way, Dr. George is a fourth-year resident at the Brigham. She has a remarkable record of accomplishments on her CV. Last year, Dr. George was the Olmsted Editorial Fellow for this journal, further extending her knowledge of academic medicine. 
Faculty at UC San Francisco will be lucky to have Dr. George as a fellow in neuroradiology beginning in July of this year. Congratulations on an important study. This next major research study is about artificial intelligence, or AI. The results of this study were featured in Forbes magazine, U.S. News, and other types of popular press. The title is Automated Triaging of Adult Chest Radiographs with Deep Artificial Neural Networks. The first author is Maru Anaruma. The senior author is Giovanni Montana. Both authors are in the Biomedical Engineering Department. The senior radiologist on this paper is Dr. Vicky Goh, a well-known expert in body radiology at King's College London. We previously discussed the use of AI to interpret chest x-rays and CT exams. This article features another approach to the problem. If you are reading chest x-rays in the hospital, your PACS work list may have anywhere from 50 to 100 x-rays waiting to be read. Our PACS system features a small flag to indicate an urgent result is needed. But that urgent flag only seems to indicate if the patient is in the emergency department or not. We need to move patients quickly through the ED in order to free up space for other urgent patients. On the other hand, imagine your entire radiology enterprise. Here you have hundreds or even thousands or more chest x-rays each day. Make the scale larger. Imagine your company is like Uber. You have to send chest x-rays from the cloud to various radiologists all over the country or world. If a radiologist is not busy and their reading queue is available, send the x-ray to her. What if all your radiologists are busy? Then you need some way to prioritize urgent chest x-rays. On a large scale, it is easy to see why automated triage of chest x-rays is necessary. More background information. In the United Kingdom, there are large backlogs of unread radiology studies. At any one time, more than 330,000 patients are waiting more than 30 days to receive their radiology report. The UK has a shortage of radiologists. Rather than 30 days, in the US, the report time may be 30 minutes. Very different practice environment. However, worldwide, 40% of radiology tests are chest x-rays. Purpose. Develop an AI system that automatically triages chest x-rays based on the urgency of the findings. Methods. The authors started with 330,000 chest x-rays at their institution. For these 330,000 exams, they used natural language processing to interpret the radiology report to separate the reports into four categories. Critical reports had findings where treatment was immediately needed, such as a pneumothorax. An urgent report example was a pneumonia, positive and important, but a short delay would not harm the patient. Non-urgent reports had findings like a hiatal hernia. Finally, the fourth category was a normal report. Using computerized natural language processing to read the report, the authors could correctly classify the x-ray with a critical finding with extremely high accuracy. There were a few errors only when radiologists use vague terms in their reports. One example, when a radiologist described a possible cancer as a shadow. With AI, the most limiting step is getting huge numbers of images that are correctly labeled. Using this natural language processing method of the reports, 330,000 x-rays were now available and automatically labeled as critical versus non-critical. Step 2. The researchers fed the digital images into a computer system called a convolutional neural network. 
This AI dissected the pixels in the image and began to learn which chest x-rays had critical findings versus those chest x-rays that were normal. Result, an important metric is how many of the critical and urgent chest x-rays were found by the AI. In a separate test batch of 16,000 radiographs, there were 385 critical x-rays. Of these, the AI found 250. This is a sensitivity of 65%, certainly not perfect. But if those chest x-rays were at the bottom of the reading list, 250 patients would not get their critical results in a timely manner. Interesting, the AI missed five x-rays that radiology reports said there was a critical finding, such as a pneumothorax. But the researchers pulled those x-rays. On re-review, a panel of five radiologists all agreed the radiologist that originally interpreted the x-ray was wrong. The x-rays were actually normal. As I mentioned, this research originated from an engineering group, a very practical group of people. It was an engineering problem to try to prioritize which x-rays were critically delivered first to the radiologist. They compared using the AI for this purpose versus not using the AI to prioritize. The average reporting delay for important results at their hospital in the United Kingdom would be reduced using AI from 11 days to 4 days, a major improvement. Conclusion. Dr. William Offerman is from the Department of Radiology at the University of Utah and wrote an editorial about these AI results. He emphasized that categorizing x-rays based on the radiology reports as normal or abnormal is extremely important. Unfortunately, radiology report terms are not standardized. Radiologists may call a tumor an opacity, a lesion, a nodule, maybe even a shadow. You already know that clinicians want radiologists to use standard terms. Our current radiology trainees are learning structured reporting much more than when I trained. Dr. Offerman also envisions using an AI system for outpatients. After the chest x-ray is obtained, the patient would wait for another few minutes while the AI interprets the x-ray. If the AI detects a critical finding, a radiologist is immediately notified to look at the radiograph before the patient leaves. This seems very feasible almost immediately. A commercial company already has United States Food and Drug Administration approval to use an AI for automatic triage of head CT to detect stroke. Triage for many x-ray examinations could soon follow. Our final article today is brief, but tells us about the status of radiation dose reduction for children. This is an important issue to patients. The title is Radiation Dose for Pediatric CT, Comparison of Pediatric versus Adult Imaging Facilities. The first author is Keith Strauss. The senior author is Samuel Brady from the Radiology Department at the Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. Background. The American College of Radiology established the Dose Index Registry in order to help CT facilities determine their radiation dose relative to others. As of 2017, the Radiation Dose Registry had data from 45 million CT exams. Since 2008, we have been in the era of Image Gently Alliance. This report addresses whether initiatives such as Image Gently have been successful. Purpose. Describe radiation dose for pediatric patients when children have CT scans at different types of radiology facilities. There were two types of pediatric facilities, academic and non-academic. Pediatric patients also get CT scans at adult facilities. 
Again, these were classified as academic or non-academic. Methods. Radiation doses from the ACR Radiology Index Registry for CT were evaluated based on patient age and size. Brain, chest, and abdomen-pelvis exams were compared. Pediatric academic facilities had lower radiation in nearly all cases than other facilities, at times remarkably lower. For example, a size-specific dose estimate for pediatric patients' average was 3.6 milligrays for CT of the abdomen in a pediatric academic facility. However, in the non-academic adult facility, the radiation exposure to children the same size was more than two times higher, 8.3 milligrays. The exam-to-exam variation of the radiation dose was also lower for dedicated pediatric facilities. Keep in mind, there were only 10 pediatric academic facilities in the survey. In contrast, there were 439 adult non-academic facilities that also imaged children. Most of our pediatric patients are getting these higher radiation doses. Conclusion. We continue to see excess radiation for pediatric CT despite more than 10 years of the Image Gently campaign. Radiation dose to children is twice as high when children are not imaged in non-pediatric dedicated facilities. The reasons for this may be complex. For example, adult and non-academic facilities may not have dedicated staff for pediatric studies. They may have fewer pediatric patients in order to learn and to optimize the CT protocol. What's the next step? The authors recommend one approach that might be useful. Each facility may identify a small group to regularly compare the radiation CT dose index for children at their hospital compared to radiation values obtained in this national survey. That small group may have a CT radiologist, one or more technologists, and hopefully a medical physicist. More attention to the problem is likely to lead to improved management of the CT scanning facility. That concludes this week's articles. I hope these podcasts were helpful to you. Until next time, this is Dr. David Blumke for the journal Radiology. I hope you have a good rest of your week.